privilege for, uh, to be here today, and thank you so much for your uh, warm hospitality. And um, yeah, I just want to send you greetings. I was going to say send you greetings from the cold north, uh, but I'm sorry. I feel like I brought it with me. I'm sorry about that. Anybody here from New England? Who are our New Englanders? This is sweater weather for you, right? At best, yeah. Um, I just want to address the elephant in the room, though. Um, Grant, I hope this is okay um, to address. It's just looming large. I know you all are as broken up as I am that the New England Patriots are not in the Super Bowl again this year. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Little too much cheering there. But anyway, uh, it's great to be back in the South. And I say back in the South because I went to school in North Carolina. I went to NC State. Yeah, Raleigh. Shout out for Raleigh. Yeah. I did see a Tar Heels... Um, sweatshirt, but love our enemies, right? And, uh, but it was a big culture shock because I'm born and bred in the Northeast, and uh, I remember my first roommate at North Carolina State was from rural Georgia, and um, I'm from Syracuse, um, Syracuse, New York, and uh, in Syracuse, who's here from Syracuse? Okay, so, so Syracuse, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but in Syracuse, we talk a little bit like this. We talk through our noses, and so we say things like, I'm from the tri-county area, and um, I have God in my heart. Um, and so my poor roommate from Georgia, me from Syracuse, we needed a translator for about the first three months just to figure out what we were saying. Um, but language is fun, isn't it? Language is a lot of fun. And there are some southern sayings that I just think should be nationwide. Just should be national phrases like y'all. Right? Yeah, y'all should be there. Because, as you know, you doesn't cut it. You don't know if it's singular or plural. Um, and unless you uh, speaketh King James, ye doesn't cut it either. Um, but my favorite, my favorite Southern saying, and I heard it recently, is um, bless his or her heart. I love Yeah. But, yeah, you know why? Because with that saying, you can diss somebody and bless them at the same time. It's beautiful. Right? Ah, uh, he's dumb as a bag of rocks. Bless his heart. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, masterful. And we have our own sayings in New England. What is our favorite New England word? Wicked. Wicked means it's wicked good. Not bad. It's wicked good. So we could have some fun and say, y'all are wicked nice people. And that would be an excellent way to talk about it. So anyway, but there's a language. There's a language I think we all understand. There's a language uh, that we all grapple with that I really want to talk about today, and that's the language of suffering. And some have suffered more, some have suffered less, uh, but it's when those trials and tribulations come in our lives, and we experience things, perhaps that we've never experienced before, and they're hard to understand. And I don't know about you, but sometimes life just doesn't work out the way you expected. Things didn't turn out the way you had hoped. In fact, Al-Anon, which is a support group for those who have alcoholics in their family, they have this saying, And it's so true. It says expectations are planned disappointments. Expectations can be planned disappointments. And that can be true when it comes to suffering. And so when hardship comes, when hardship comes, what is the first question that comes to our minds when hardship comes our way? First question is this, why me? Why me? That's the very first question we ask. And from a Christian worldview, it's a little bit more involved. Like, okay, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? You're the Lord of glory. You're the Lord of the universe. Why me? So I want to tell you a little bit about my story uh, and where I'm coming from. 
So we were tent makers in Istanbul, Turkey for three years. And we were ju- we'd been there three years. We were just about to come home on furlough. And my then-wife Gretchen uh, found something under her arm. And at age 36, she was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 breast cancer. Just changed our lives. And so here we are in Istanbul. And her and my four boys and I, my four boys at the time, rushed home for medical treatment in the Boston area. And that was my first question. My first question was, well, more like, why her? You know, why us, Lord? But I had an answer for that. I actually had an answer for that question. Now, I've got to give you the context. I am a, I'm a seminary-trained, gospel-preaching, sovereignty-of-God-believing Presbyterian pastor. And you know what my first theological thought was? My first theological thought was this. God is punishing her for my sin. God is punishing her for my sin. See, I'd been struggling with some personal sins in my life. Uh, this is it. God is punishing her. And others had answers too. People are glad. When you're suffering, you know this. People are glad to answer that question, why, for you. You know those helpful answers? Like, God must be teaching you something. And I'm thinking, you know, am I that stupid, right, that I have to have this come into my life? Can I not learn it, you know? Can I just lose my job or something? Or Romans 8.28, that passage that we know is true. We know all things work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I tell you, that's not helpful. It's true, but it's not helpful. Just, Just don't say that when somebody's suffering. Because people, they're, they're desperate. They want to say why, and they say, they say dumb things. Bless their hearts, right? And I was an engineer by trade. When I, used to, I say when I used to work for a living. I was an engineer, and I'm a fix-it guy. I love fixing things, and I'm telling Gretchen all the things that she should do and trying to fix things in her life. And she came out with this statement. And, um, okay, guys, I am going to give you, gentlemen, I'm going to give you the secret to relational success. You ready for this? You need to write this down. You need to memorize it. You need to tattoo it, preferably where you can read it, right? Here's what she said. I'm talking to her, giving her all kinds of advice. She said this. She said, honey, I need your shoulder, not your mouth. I need your shoulder, not your mouth. Um, I need somebody I can just cry with. Uh, Somebody I can just talk to who's not going to give me advice. And can I tell you, this book by uh, Kelly Capick, Dr. Capick, this is a if you are suffering or been through, or if you're walking through suffering somebody, this book is fantastic. Um, uh, my only regret is that it wasn't written back in 2002 uh, when we were going through our suffering. It's just so wonderful. And chapter 2 is entitled, here's the title of chapter 2, Don't Answer Why. Don't answer why. God doesn't tell us why. Now we know he redeems evil. He can take those things for his own purposes. But look at the subtitle in uh, Dr. Capick's book. This is what it says. Don't explain, but do listen and love. That's great advice. Don't explain, do listen and love. So we're back in New England. Good hospitals, of course. Things are you know, going okay. And Gretchen got treatment. But I can tell you for the better part of the year, I was oscillating between just being angry with myself and upset with the Lord. Angry with the Lord. And I don't know, sometimes suffering, I think it, you see a side to God that you've never seen before. Have you ever listened to a series of podcasts by 
somebody and um, you've never seen their face. And then all of a sudden one day you see their face, you meet them in person, and your first reaction is, you don't look anything like I imagined. And that's the way it is with suffering in our relationship with the Lord. It's like, Lord, you look different than I ever imagined. There's nothing like suffering to disabuse us of false notions of how we've made God into our own image. But as you know, God is faithful, isn't he? God is so gracious. And there were two things, two things that kept us going. First of all was the word of God. And as I reflect more and more on his word, as I reflected at that time, I began to see things I hadn't seen before, understand things I hadn't understood before, like Psalm 91.1. I love this. We, we had this, we just use this all the time. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And as I meditated on this verse, I realized that, that you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you can cast a long shadow. You can be in somebody's shadow easily. But I'd spend time in the Middle East, and if you've spent time near to the equator, you know that that noonday sun reaches, and things are at its hottest point, just like you're suffering when it's at its hottest point. And when, you're, when the, the sun is at noon, what do you have to do to cast a shadow? You have to hover over somebody for them to be in your shadow. And that's the image of Psalm 91. That God hovers over us, whether we acknowledge it or not, or realize it or not. As his people, as his children, God is near. The word of God. Stay with the word of God. And and if you're suffering, sometimes the last thing you want to do is go to the word of God. And I'd say, I get it. I get it. I've been there. But go to the word. Go to the word. Let the Lord have his way in your heart. The second thing that was our lifeline, was the people of God. Our small group was our lifeline. And when we suffer, what we often do is we isolate ourselves. Sometimes we're ashamed of our suffering or we don't know why it's happening and we don't want to tell anybody, let the people of God surround you. And it's not easy, right, to allow people to carry you. We want to be the ones to carry everyone else. We don't want to be carried and and our pride sometimes gets in the way. You know, when I grew up, when I grew up, there was an image of who a man was in my day. Um, take a look at this. There he is. That's back when smoking was so cool. And uh, look at him. He's just rugged, on his own. Is anybody else around him? No, it's him and his horse. And, and uh, we Christianized that. It's me and Jesus, right? Me and Jesus. And there's nothing less biblical than that. Right? You need the people of God. You need the word of God. And you need the people of God. So I began to look closer and closer. And as you look closer at the life of Jesus and his suffering, instead of looking inward, and looking inward is okay for a while, but the Lord started to bring me to a point of looking upward. And a new question formed. A new question. It went from why me, and I think this is a process, to why you, Lord? Why you? Why would you even choose to physically enter this world? Why would you come off your throne in heaven? Seems crazy. Not considering equality with God something to be, to be grasped, but letting it go. Into this broken world of suffering and pain which we have brought upon ourselves. If anyone has suffered unjustly, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, for sure. 
So when you begin to meditate on the cross of Christ, when you begin to meditate on what he's done, the fact that he took the punishment that we deserve, the fact that he took our curse, he died in our place. The one who, who only deserved worship and glory and honor. And he dies this horrific and shameful death. And he is raised from the dead bodily. And that matters. Our bodies matter. There's a connection. That's why we talk about the new heaven and new earth. The new creation. By his stripes, it says, we are healed. Now, it doesn't answer the question, why me? Right? Why you does not answer the question, why me? But it ministered to my soul. And I'd heard these things before. You've probably heard them. But you know what it is? It's God's word in time. Have you ever been reading Psalm 23? You may have read it hundreds of times, and then all of a sudden one day it just jumps off the page and it becomes alive. That's the beauty of God's word. And it drew me to a deeper understanding of God's love like I had never experienced before. Now, I'm not saying I didn't have doubts. I, I had doubts. I, I remember we had a family room that had a skylight. I remember it was a, kind of a blue sky day, and there were clouds rolling across the sky. Again, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a missionary. Looking up at the clouds, and I'm going, Lord, where are you? i got to preach on Sunday. Where are you in all this? But you know what? I've studied other religions, and can I tell you, there is no God like our God. There is no God like the God of the Bible. There is no God like the God that we worship. And I tell other people now, I say, I don't know why. I can't tell you why. And I'm not going to give you trite reasons why I think God may have done this in your life. And if God's wisdom is intimate, or in- infinite, rather, we may not know all of it when we get to glory. But there is someone who understands the language of suffering like no one else in history, and that is Jesus Christ. And he wants to walk with you through whatever it is you're walking through. Well, Gretchen got her treatments. We went back to Turkey, but a little less than a year later, it came back. So here we are back on the north shore of Boston. And then something crazy happened. Something absolutely crazy happened. Gretchen had her friends. She had some women who were around her praying for her. And they start asking her the question, why you? Why is this happening to you? And she uttered these three words that etched in my memory forever. She said this. I'll never forget this. She said, why not me? Why not me? I'm like, I can think of about a thousand good reasons why not you, sweetheart, right? God taking us through this process from why me to why you. And now this question I'd never thought of before in my life, why not me? And it wasn't a hopeless resolve to her circumstances. She believed that God could heal. She fought to the last breath. She wanted to see her boys grow up and get married. And it, it, but it was a sweet submission to the will of God. It's kind of that echo of, of Jesus in Gethsemane. You know, Lord, if this cup can pass... Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is what she meant. It doesn't mean that she never had doubts. She had doubts in her life. She wasn't perfect. But this was her view. Check this out. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the risen Lord, 
who conquered sin and death. If God is truly my heavenly father, and I can affirm that he loves my four boys more than I could ever love them. If he can somehow redeem this situation to bring glory and honor to his name, then I can say, why not me? Why not me? And I'm not saying that everybody needs to come to that conclusion, but I can tell you that this question has helped me rethink suffering. And I think rethink it in a, in a way that's more biblical than I've ever thought before. And so the Lord took her home. Took her home in 2002. But again, again, God is faithful. And he used her story to bring hope to the hopeless, to light in a dark world. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this. There were dark days. There were dark days. And, you know, I, I remember a scene. I am not a physically expressive person. Uh, you, I mean, you want to really, the way you're speaking. But anyway, I really am not. I, don't, I hide my emotions pretty well. And I'm in my house, and I'm, I'm uh, in the kitchen because I've got four boys now. I'm a single dad doing all the cooking, and I was just frustrated beyond belief. And um, I, the, the kitchen cupboard was, was open, you know, kind of at 90 degrees. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I, I slammed the, the, the door, and I just, like, I hurt my hand. I almost broke the, the cabinet, you know, the, the door off the hinges. And what I didn't realize, and the door came flying back open. What I didn't realize is there was this Pyrex dish, you know, those thick glass dishes that was on the edge of the shelf. And I'd hit the Pyrex dish, and it slammed so hard off the back of the wall that when the cupboard door opened, the thing hit me on the chest. Practically knocked me over. I'm like, Lord, what's happening? I've never expressed anger like this before. And that's when I realized. That was, actually, those are the moments sometimes. For me, it's not always a still small voice, right? Thank you, Elijah. But the idea is, it's those moments where it just comes crashing in. You go, the Lord is saying, you know what, Greg? I want to walk with you through this, if you'll let me. And just one of those aha moments for me, that this had taken over my life, but that I could trust in the Lord. Well, again, God is good. And several years later, uh, the Lord led me to uh, my wife, now Heather. And she, this woman took on me and my four boys, teenagers by that time, most of them. And uh, I don't know how she did it. She is the glue that holds our family together. She's an amazing woman. And, um, and now we have two girls. We have two girls. That's why I got the six kids, right? I got the, so there's a 21-year gap. Uh, between my two families, so to speak. And I have these two sweet girls, Mackenzie and Paige, and they're wonderful. And I remember, the reason why it's so important is I remember a conversation with one of my girls. And she was about eight at the time. Now, this is an eight-year-old trying to process what's happened in our lives. So we're telling her all about how this happened. And uh, she was genuinely almost teary-eyed sad for her brothers, like, she's just like, I am so, it's going to bring tears to my eyes. I'm so sad for my brothers that they lost their mom. I can't imagine what that would be like. And at the same time, acknowledging that if that hadn't happened, she wouldn't have her life today. And this 
big thoughts for a little girl. Big thoughts for a little girl. And I had no big theological answer for her. But just the idea that the Lord calls us to live in this crazy, sometimes painful, but also joyful. I mean, the, the response I had, have you ever cried and laughed at the same time? Because that's what was happening. Amazing tension that God calls us to live in this side of the new heaven and new earth. And it's not all peachy, I can tell you that. It's not all roses. The ripple effects are still felt in my family. But I know this. Listen carefully. We serve a God who understands and has walked that path already. He's the commander who doesn't lead from behind, but leads from the front. He knows your pain, and he knows your suffering. And he says, follow me. Jesus Christ, above all, understands the language of suffering. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you have a friend who's suffering, be a shoulder. Be a shoulder. Stay with your friend. Let him know you're there whenever they need you. And if you're suffering, stay in the word. Stay in the word of God. Let it change you. Let it grab a hold of your heart. Let the Lord take you through this process. Stay with the people of God. Let them carry you. And perhaps, perhaps, one day you will be able to say as well, Lord, why not me? Why not me? Would you bow with me, please? Lord God, it's often in times of suffering that we understand our frailty for the first time. And it's hard. It's hard to suffer. It's hard to relinquish control. But Lord Jesus, we thank you. Even as we sang today, what an amazing God you are. That we can trust you no matter what. And you're a God who knows and understands. You don't just tell us to walk the path. You walk the path for us. And so I pray for anybody here today who's having doubts. Let this be a time when they cling to you, turn to you. Lord, I pray for those who suffer. Father, it is hard, and there's no easy answers. But Lord, we know that you are near just like that noonday shadow, hovering over your people. And Lord, as you call us to walk with other people, help us to be faithful, help us to be a shoulder, help us to be a support. And in all things, may you gain the glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.